reading from book eight. Oh, that makes it sound like it's scripture. Hold on. I got to do that different. Leslie would love that. (laughs) And so would Eric. That's a good point. Okay, keep that in. Book eight, variation of tactics from the art of war. In war, the general receives his commands from the sovereign, collects his army and concentrates his forces. When in difficult country, do not encamp. In country where high roads intersect, join hands with your allies. Do not linger in dangerously isolated positions. In hemmed-in situations, you must resort to stratagem. In a desperate position, you must fight. Welcome back to Survivor Analytics, where we talk about Survivor and analyze it. I've really got to learn our tagline, but I'm the (laughs) voice of the people. My name's Jack. With me, as always, the true expert. Say hi, Clyde. What's up, party people? I'm not a fan of some of these Art of War readings. I feel like some of them are pretty obvious. You didn't like that one? If you're in a desperate situation, the advice is to fight. Like, of course it is. Well, what if the advice was negotiate? Surrender and hope that your forces survive. You know, there's other options. I think in many cases, this has been the art of common sense rather than the art of war. There's a reason it's like a 3,000-year-old book. A lot of 3,000-year-old books are either truly insane or they're saying the most obvious stuff on the planet. Hey, murder, bad. Don't steal from your neighbor. Yeah, they're setting the baseline. And I guess I'm not one to judge because I think either two episodes ago or the first time you read from it, I misunderstood the message that you read. So who am I to be judging uh, the art of war? Speaking of none of that, we're we're talking about Survivor China episode four. Episode five. Is it? Yeah. Oops, I, I misnumbered my notes. Sorry. <laughs> I, I always write the season number and the episode number at the top of my notes, and I wrote four across this whole... Okay. Season 15, episode five. Don't worry, folks. Oh, wow. We're really ahead on the recordings then, aren't we? Yeah. Well, I feel unprofessional now, but I would like to subtitle this episode, The Worst Thing I've Ever Seen on Survivor. This is the worst episode? That's not true. I I have been angrier. I was angrier about Natalie. I've been angrier about Dave. I'm not mad. I'll say that. I'm disappointed. <laughs> I'm disappointed. Uh, with the players or with production? Production. Production. Okay, I don't think- that's fair. I mean, we're going to get into it. I don't like how Jamie played it. PG had a great read, but we'll, we'll get into it. We'll get into it. Yeah, this episode is really defined by the twist and the tribe swap. Oh, let me ask you, is this the moment that Maddie referred to last week? There's multiple moments on this season. So she said there was like some big... There is a big moment coming. And this was not that moment. This was not it. Okay, this felt pretty big. Yeah, this was still some pretty advanced gameplay for the time. Prior to season 15, players had thrown challenges in the past, but this one felt a little bit more tactical. In the previous seasons when it happened, typically you would have a tribe where one person was so on the outs to the point where the rest of the tribe came together and said, let's throw the challenge to get rid of this one outlier. Yeah. This was more strategic than that because of the whole tribe swap element, which I thought was fun to watch. You know me, I'm the one that's like down with the challenges. Challenges are the uh, party hats of Survivor, in my opinion. They're a fun accessory 
but they're not an essential component to the game. I would always prefer the player that navigates to the end over the one that has a massive target on their back and requires challenge wins to make a deep run. Watching players just, you know, not care about challenges was great. It was a dream come true. So we should probably start at the beginning before I just start yelling out of <laughs> sheer rage. Uh, because to at least find a little bit of joy in this episode. What did we start with, Clyde? Did you notice? Is it another animal? It's another animal. Not a clue. <laughs> this is your job, dude. I do not write these down. It's a panda asleep in a tree. And who's the panda? The panda is John Hu. Because now that they're Daveless, they're all just lounging. They're taking their time. They're sleeping in. They're feeling good. Frosty's like, man, this is kind of a bummer. We don't have anything to do. And then we get what I hoped would be the pivotal moment of this episode. We get another animal before the pivotal moment. Oh. Do you remember this animal? Of no, course you're not. not. You're, you're not noting them at all. No. I'll just tell you. We get two ducks swimming in the water before we see two humans swimming in the water. What's that? It's Jamie and Eric. They're having a little swim. And Eric says to the camera that they're having a, uh, it's the Garden of Eden setting minus all the fruit, which is kind of a weird thing to say, but it does go along with the very Christian theme of this season. And they have this little conversation that makes me miss Franny and Matt. Yeah, <laughs> you hesitated there. You forgot I, his name. I gotta be honest, I forgot if he was Matt or Matthew. Dude, you're a step ahead of me. One of the questions I wrote down for you, are you more team Jarek or more team Frat? Manny? Oh, Manny. Yeah. It was obvious that Franny and Matt were into each other, right? Transparent. But they danced around it. They took a while. The show made a meal out of it. We got to sample yum, yum, yum. Just a little, these little crumbs building up over episode over episode. Really? A little bit. I feel like Matt stepped on the beach and the first thing that he said was that he just came off a breakup and that he was interested in Franny. I felt like this showman's built up more. Like, we didn't see this at all until episode five. I mean, I guess that's true. But but Matt and Franny, it seemed that they developed an alliance first and a showman's second. Okay. This feels showman's first. So we've got Jamie and Eric in the water and... Jamie says something to confessional like she can't find anything wrong with Eric. And then he gives her something. They've exchanged middle names, right? Yeah, I wrote that down. Their version of flirting is sharing their middle names with each other. And I got concerned. I've asked people what their middle name was, and I didn't know that would have been interpreted as a flirtatious move. Yeah, um, I don't think it is a flirtatious move. Although I did get a notification earlier today that uh, I guess in some pre- NBA draft video uh, interview, Victor Wembenyama was like, yeah, nobody knows my middle name. So I guess the entire NBA is flirting with him. But I th that's kind <laughs> of true, though. Yeah. Uh, but so they exchange middle names. And then sort of out of nowhere, we're dancing around it. Let's jump in. Eric admits, he's like, hey, I just want you to know I'm a virgin and I'm waiting for the right person, which to be clear is totally fine. But I want to drill into Jamie's instant response. Did you note this? Okay, I wrote this down too. Yeah. <laughs> she immediately goes, ugh. Like there's a little grimace. 
No, she doesn't. I got the opposite vibe. No, there's a moment where she goes, Ugh. But in confessional, she says the fact that Eric is a virgin makes him more trustworthy. So she says that, but her instant facial expression is a little bit of a, uh, it evolves, right? She does say, oh, this makes him more trustworthy. Essentially, the information they exchange is Eric says he's a virgin and Jamie tells him an idol exists. Well, she tells him because he reveals <laughs> that he's a virgin. It's absurd. Like, I don't think Eric did this for strategic purposes by any means. I hope not. I hope so. That'd be so impressive. If he hopped in confessional and said, I'm going to tell Jamie I'm a virgin, so she thinks I'm trustworthy, and then she'll reveal some information, I would stand up and clap <laughs> if he did that. Uh it did not happen. I think he just felt compelled to tell her for some reason. I assume that there was a part of this conversation that was edited out because we go immediately from the middle names to the virgin discussion with nothing in between. It would make sense to edit out some of the buildup. It would be so damn funny if these two grown adults went from, what's your middle name? You know, it, it's basically <laughs> like going from the security question on a website to give me all of your money. Like, it's such an escalation. It's a very cocky move by Eric in a way because he automatically assumes that JB wants to have sex with him. <laughs> he's like, oh, she knows my middle name. She wants to bang me. I know we're in the Garden of Eden. Yeah, I better put my foot on the brake now before this gets too crazy. Oh my God. I mean, that's a, that's a very good point because he does just kind of bring it up out of nowhere. Do you agree with Jamie's philosophy that Eric's more trustworthy because he's a virgin? I mean, here's what that revelation shows, right? It shows that Eric trusts Jamie. And so I think what it actually shows is that Jamie can trust anything she gets from him. I don't know what it says about how good he will be going forward at keeping her revelations private, right? I don't see anything in this conversation that guarantees he's not going to take the idle piece of intel to Frosty or something, right? And so I don't know if it's a great read on her part, but there are worse foundations for an alliance. I'll say that. Yeah. I don't think Eric is going to flip on Jamie this season. That's my prediction, is that he will not write down her name from now until either one of them wins or one or both of them goes home. Last thing I want to mention is even though this was not a strategic move by Eric, he has had so few strategic maneuvers on the season that I think this might be his best move so far. Absolutely valid. Eric really said, uh, hey, the entire viewership of prime time free YouTube internet uh, was YouTube 2007. YouTube was around. Barely. Yeah. Yeah. Because Smosh started in 2006. Wow. Shout out to Smosh. Welcome back. Welcome back. And if you need anybody on, just uh, hit us up. You know, Ian, you got our number. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the fact that YouTube exists makes this move even riskier because Eric admits he's a virgin. Seems like an early viral video if I've ever heard of one. Do you want to move on to the next showmance? Yeah. I love this showmance. We go over to Fei Long and basically we see that James and Denise are kindred spirits. They're both no-nonsense. They're both hard workers. And we get this genuinely lovely moment where James is just talking about how great Denise is and how they get along really well. 
And he says something like, uh, if she was a little younger or I was a little older, watch out. It's wild coming from James, who's over six feet tall for sure. He towers over Denise. Yeah. A quote I wrote down for James is, he's describing Denise. He says, uh, she's there to compliment you and work with you. That's attractive. I like that. Yeah. It's hard to gauge James's strategic mindset, right? I mean, there's been sort of the might is right viewpoint. And Denise is clearly the strongest female player on their on Fei Long. James is one of those players who everybody knows is in immediate danger at the merge, right? And at this point in the episode, I was thinking, oh, a James-Denise foundation for an alliance could be pretty strong. James also has the connection to Jean Robert. Yeah, you know, I hate Jean Robert a little bit, but yeah. But he's a great person to align with and potentially take to the end. And frankly, you could make the argument that, and this is going to be a little mean to Jean Robert, I guess, and you can check in your survival manual, Clyde. One of the things you can do to camouflage yourself from predators is smear the uh, scat of them on you so that you have the scent of their poop. James's potential best option to go far with Jean Robert is to lean into how detestable, stinky Jean Robert is, cover himself in that, so that Jean Robert provides a buffer for James, the much bigger target. So you're saying that he should align with Jean Robert as somebody that he could flip the target onto in the merge if things go wrong, or you're saying that he should try to align with him for the long run? Because those are two different takes. Align with Jean Robert so that he can dump Jean Robert, like jettison him when needed. Not for the long run. James doesn't want to go to the end with Jean Robert, although he would look great at the end next to Jean Robert. I think Jean Robert's primary purpose is to continue to be kind of the least liked guy around camp and emphasizes Jean Robert's qualities around camp in the hopes that that will supersede the obvious physical threat that James poses. That's a very good idea for him, especially in the early merge where, you know, the meat boys are always voted out early. Yeah. So with this James-Denise duo, one thing I love about it is it feels unintentional on production's part where when they casted Eric and Jamie on the same tribe, I bet they suspected that something could come out of that alliance, that there might be a showman's there. Yeah. I doubt they looked at James, the six foot plus shredded, conventionally attractive guy, and Denise, the lunch lady with the mullet, to have a romantic encounter. And I think that makes it so much better. I also love that James has now been a part of two one-sided showmances where <laughs> Leslie was interested in James and he did not reciprocate, and now he's having the same experience with Denise. I, I think the nice thing with James and Denise is that there's, you know, kind of the funny showmance, but I think they're genuinely kind of kindred spirits. They're clearly hard workers. They're both just very kind, down-to-earth people. I like both of them a lot, and... uh I will be sad to see both of them go. I'll say that. Do you like uh, Janice better than Jarek? Oh, man, I hate these names. I like Jarek better because I think it's funnier. I think the uh, the concept of the virgin 
and the woman absolutely just letting the virgin do whatever she says is much funnier than, you know, these two just hardworking people who have bonded over there. I also want to give credit to Denise because look how far she's come. So far. For three episodes, she did not say a word. <laughs> now she's front and center, and in your words, she is quite literally the prettiest girl at the party. Well said. I mean, she is. She is. And then, and okay, let's, let's... Yeah, let's just talk about this twist that happens next. <laughs> so, there's no reward challenge this week. Instead, they have a tribe swap. And the logistics of this swap are that each tribe will choose the two best overall players from the opposite tribe. So, so I, I want to dwell on a, something right there. They select the best or they select the two they would want. I don't remember exactly how it's worded. I think it said the two strongest might have been the wording, which innately makes the players think of the physically strongest. Yeah. Those players swap tribes. So at the surface, we have a 7-5 split. Do you like this mechanic of moving two players across tribal lines? I don't like it. I think that the fact that these swapped players don't get any advantage or idol. Oh, I'm happy they didn't get an idol or an advantage. I, I don't like it because I, I think if the numbers had been more even, I, I might have a different story. But because it was 5-7, the two that come over to Fei Long, right? There's five people. I think when you cross the threshold four to five to six, right? More than three there will be multiple alliances or dividing lines that you can find and exploit. But for the two that go from Fei Long to Zhan Hu, you're going to go join a tribe that is three people. Three people is a very small group to try to find a crack in. On the bright side, you only need to pull one person, though. Right. But I think the given the state of the game, I don't like this move. If both tribes had, like, clear divisions and clear groups on the bottom, it would be one thing because that, that could totally turn things around and be really interesting. I think because of the makeup of these tribes, this swap was just set up to be really frustrating and disappointing. Would it have been better if it was random? Like, two random players from both tribes moved over? Or would that have been just as bad? Yeah, I think that would have been better. The idea I came up with to fix this, and you can tell me what you think about it, is each tribe is given a survey where they rank the members on their tribe in Fei Long's case 1 through 7, John Hu's case 1 through 5. Whoever averages the bottom of their respective tribe flips to the other group, and they're aware that they were perceived as the worst member of their original tribe. I me. That's great. Because then if you move over, you feel burned by your original members and you don't have a reason to really realign with them come the merge. Then that creates an interesting dynamic when you go over to the other tribe. Like, I think this episode was hindered by the fact that Sharia flipped. I think if Sharia stays at Sean Hu, that's a way more interesting dynamic where she becomes the swing boat. Yeah, absolutely. I mean... I mean, I, I, I like your idea a lot. I think that there are absolutely permutations within these two tribes where this works. The choice to pull the strongest, given the tribe makeups, just makes this disappointing. The other thing I want to point out at the selection stage, 
Fei Long picks up on, oh, we're going to pick two and we're going to lose two. This is a swap, right? There's a conversation where Jean Robert says to James, well, you're probably going. There's a funny moment where James and Courtney make fun of Jean Robert for not getting picked. Like, oh, how does it feel that you're not the strongest? <laughs> and he's like kind of butthurt about it, which is fantastic. Jean who don't realize that. Yeah, they think they're gaining two people. Yeah, they're like, <laughs> "Oh, the game has changed. We're gonna have a we're gonna have seven five all of a sudden, and the two strongest players." An insane thing to even consider, but that's what they thought. Oh, a quote I want to throw out before we get to the actual selections is, I think it's from Courtney when they find out that this is happening. She says, "Guys, this is not cool." <laughs> I just thought that was a really funny, useless thing to say. Because, yeah, no one on Fei Long is happy with this. Courtney might be happy about it. She doesn't have to worry about getting picked and swap screwed. That's true. But so let's talk about the picks. Oh, you know, actually, here's what I want to do. Before we talk about the actual picks, you are on Fei Long. Oh, okay, nice. Who do you pick? Yeah, I was going to ask you this. I want to do hypotheticals before we get to the real ones. Who do you pick? You're on Fei Long. So what makes this whole situation difficult is the way that that original prompt was worded. It, it depends who I am. If I'm someone like Jean Robert and I potentially want to align with the Jean Hu members, then my selections would be different than somebody like Amanda or Todd who seem more loyal to the Fei Long group. Yeah. I think they made the right call in taking Frosty from Jean Hu. That second spot is tough, though. They seem to make their decision primarily based on physical strength. Yeah. And I was surprised that they took Sharia over Eric then. Like, maybe their philosophy was there will be more challenges down the line where we have multiple rounds and they separate it by gender. And in that case, the Fei Long women have struggled against the Jean Hu woman, so we want to get Sharia over. Right. But I think that Sharia's selection is what ultimately doomed the Fei Long members that went over. Yeah. So I would say Frosty and Eric going to Fei Long, and then I think Jean Hu selected correctly in James and Aaron. Honestly, I think there's other players on Fei Long that are bigger threats right now than James and Aaron, but from an outside perspective, how would they know that? I think you touched on kind of the crux of the issue here, which is how do you balance picking based on what will help the remainder of your tribe to succeed and what will set up the members you're losing to succeed. Because if you say, all right, original Fei Long strong, James and Aaron, you're probably going, we're going to take somebody that we think is going to set you up for success. That's not what they do. They just take the strongest players and make sure that the remainder of Fei Long succeeds. I mean, I would say, hey, if you're trying to make sure that you can succeed on both fronts... I would have said take Frosty and take either Jamie or PG, probably PG. Yeah, because they're the like strategic centers of the tribe. You can weaken them. You pull a strategic center out. You pull kind of a louder voice, a, a leading voice out, and also a strong competitor, right? They have no way of knowing that Jamie and PG are the center of that That's tribe true. because the only player that has went to Jean Hu and gotten intel is Leslie, and they kicked her out two episodes ago. <laughs> And, and to be fair, uh, Leslie didn't get any intel, except for she identified the Christians, right? Well, she leaked intel. 
she told them that Aaron was the leader. I think the fact that they chose Aaron here, like James was the obvious pick. Yeah. And I bet they lean towards Aaron just because he's a bigger guy. But Leslie telling them that Aaron was the leader of the tribe definitely did not help. A hundred percent. Oh, I wanted to ask you on a personal level, were you concerned when you saw Frosty get on that boat and travel over to Fei Long? Because that's your guy. He's your winner pick. Honestly, I wasn't too worried because what we've seen of Frosty's strategic game has been very laid back, very receptive. And I could see pretty quickly, oh, yeah, he's a little bit of a smaller guy, but he's so strong and so fast. I could see him meshing well with Fei Long as needed. I had a hard time seeing any of his ties on Jean Wu as very strong. I think Frosty and Sharia were the most on the outs in Jean Hu. Yeah. Where uh, the other three f- seem much closer. And so I wasn't, I don't, I wasn't worried, to be honest. I also question how close that trio is. I get the sense that Jamie is the link between Eric and PG. For sure. She's absolutely the pivot point of that little trio. So, we can talk about each tribe individually before they go to the immunity challenge. Do you want to start with the new Jean Hu or the new Fei Long? I want to start with one thing before we get to the new tribes. The reduced Fei Long, the core five remaining, right? To recap, Courtney, Amanda, Todd, Jean Robert, and Denise. I remembered all those names. Did you see that? Yeah, Uh, good for you, dude. Jean Robert is like, guys, let's strategize first. And basically says, I know you guys want to put my name down, but let's make sure we put one of their names down. The dumbest possible thing he could do right then. Because he literally re-centers the dialogue around don't vote me out for no reason. All he had to do was say, guys, whoever comes over, if it's those two, no matter how we perform, we got to cut one of them, right? This is our chance to thin their numbers. And instead, he brings up voting himself out for no reason. I agree that bringing his own name up was bad, but it seemed like Sean Robert was closest to the realization that PG had. Yeah. Like, he had the idea that we need to get rid of a Sean Who member and weaken their tribe. He didn't take that extra step and say, let's throw the challenge to make sure that happens. Yeah, I mean, that part of his little conversation was a good insight, don't get me wrong. It's just that I don't think we've ever seen somebody successfully throw their own name out. It never goes well, right? Let's start with Fei Long. Yeah, we're already there. I think Fei Long's more interesting, to be honest. The new members arrive, Frosty and Sharia. They start to integrate within their new tribe. They bring a little feast. Yeah, they bring the feast, they all eat together, and the next morning, they wake up to Jean Robert cooking the rice and handing out responsibilities to the other Fei Long members. Yeah. The Fei Long members start to shit-talk Jean Robert right in front of Sharia and Frosty. From bed. They're not getting up yet. Everyone else is still in bed. They basically wake up, see Jean Robert out of their like sleep-crusted eyes, and go, oh... We're shitting on him. Like, it is... <laughs> it's relentless. Denise does it. Denise is a star. The silent assassin. She's not taking anything. 
I wrote down, uh, Jean Robert is so thirsty and nobody wants any of him. He basically says, hey guys, I started the rice, you know, I just figured I'd get a jump on the day. If somebody wants to, and he kind of tells Denise to come help him with the fishing nets. And she's like, don't tell me what to do. Ask nicely. Frosty is stoked because he's found the crack, right? Yeah, dude, it's a massive crack. This is the Grand Canyon of cracks. This isn't a small insight that Frosty had. It was so obvious. I think it's very fitting that the first thing that Frosty experiences in this camp, because it's what we've all had to experience, especially the editors of this damn show, is we've all had to see the Jean Robert crack, right? Jean Robert is blurred for a lot of this show. I don't know if you noticed. His shorts hang pretty low. This dude cannot tie a drawstring to save his life. So with this whole situation um, with John Robert, yeah. obviously we don't learn what would have happened with Fei Long uh, given the result of the immunity challenge. But do you think if Fei Long lost immunity, John Robert's going home? I think it's a conversation between Todd, Courtney, and Amanda, and maybe Denise, probably Denise. I think it's a conversation between those four to decide whether they want to keep Jean Robert around or cut one of the other members or one of the Jean Fu members. This is great for Courtney. She theoretically has three votes on Jean Robert already, the two Jean Hu members and herself. She just needs one more. Courtney's good. Uh, I think it's it's a question of who's who needs to go next at, based on challenge performance and that kind of thing. But I think Jean Robert has an equal shot at going home, if not a greater shot at going home, than probably frosty or maybe sharia i think it's for it's 40 30 30 jean robert frosty sharia that's my my prediction see i think we were robbed this episode i keep saying that i wish Fei long attended more tribals because i find their their dynamics way more interesting and this episode is another perfect example where i think the tribal council is a closer vote than what we actually get hopefully next week i mean not hopefully but I, if we have another week of throne matches, I'm going to be furious. I'll say that. We'll talk about it later. I think we're going to potentially watch a challenge where both tribes are trying to throw it. I, I'd be down for that, actually. If they're both doing it, that's a different kind of competition. But You want to talk about Jean Hu then? So th- there's basically two things in the Jean Hu tribe, right? We see some tension, but Aaron kind of starts to make some bonds. He's trying. James doesn't seem that interested in really getting to know the other three. He's, to his credit, doing a lot around camp. He's like, just tell me what to do and I'll do it. I want to contribute. You know, I'm here to work. I'm here to be part of the team. Which is great. That's his MO. Aaron takes a little bit more of a strategic approach, having a lot of conversations, Shit talks Jean Robert a little bit because somebody asks, like, oh, at a merge, would you vote him out? And then throws James under the bus a little bit because of how good James is. That's a great read by Aaron. I think he recognized that he needed to enter self-preservation mode. Yeah. And he had to do whatever was necessary to just stay in the game, even if it meant losing James. Um, James actually gives a confessional where he says that him and Aaron were never really that close in Fei Long. So this is a dire situation for them where... They're swapped into the minority, and the person they're swapped with isn't even an ally. Right. And then there's the throwing conversation. The pivotal thing about the throwing conversation is 
it's reliant on a couple things. First, that uh, the other Jean Hu members are guaranteed or are very likely to go out quick if Fei Long loses the challenge. The, that the two they've sent, Frosty and Sharia, will be gone if they if Fei Long loses challenges. That's the first assumption. Second, PG's anticipating a merge at 10, which makes the math really clean, right? So, here's my question for you. First off, is the merge at 10, given historical context, a reasonable assumption for her to make? 10 is a pretty common number. I would need to go back and check. The season before this, Survivor Fiji might not have had emerge at 10. The season after it, Survivor Micronesia, I think merges at 10. So it's a fair assumption by PG, but you're really putting all of your eggs in that basket because if you have emerged at nine and you throw two challenges back to back, you better hope you win that third challenge when, it, when it's down to PG, Jamie, and Eric because if they lose that challenge, I think PG's on the outside. Yeah, I mean, this is a huge gamble and if it pays off, which we'll see, I mean, it is ongoing, it will be a big move and I will give PG a lot of credit for it. I don't like it because she is the person that comes up with the idea. Let me be very clear. I do not like this move. Wait, really? Like on a personal level or strategic level? I, I think on a strategic level, it completely makes sense. Given the numbers, given history, given the likelihood, I think PG is taking a gamble on what could be an absolutely critical move for her and her tribe. I hate it because of just what it sets up. I hate that this is the move that was the best move, and that's down to production. I don't think any player, with the exception of some of Jamie's stuff, I don't think any player really did anything that I, I dislike. But this is such a bad structural thing that that just left a bad taste in my mouth from basically this point on for the rest of the episode. That, that's fair. I think you can criticize production for this twist. Uh, but I give a lot of respect to PG for it. Like, she's the person that comes up with the idea. And when I look at this Jean Hu tribe, I'm constantly thinking of my player rankings <laughs> that I'm going to make at the end of the season. And I think it's a tight battle right now between PG and Jamie for the best member of Jean Hu. I think Jamie's a better social player. She seems more well-connected. And PG seems like the better strategist. So... It's really a matter of what do you prefer more in your survivor players? Do you like somebody that has that long-term thinking ability? Or do you prefer somebody that can assemble a majority and position themselves well within it? Right now, I'm actually leaning more towards Jamie, I think. I think she has a stronger overall resume. But my perception of PG skyrocketed this episode with this move. Yeah, I mean, that's fair. Uh, I'm good to head to the immunity challenge, I think, if you are. Yeah, let's describe this absolute waste of everybody's time. Okay. <laughs> so, the challenge itself is pretty impressive in any other season of Survivor. In this season, it's a little bit low budget, I think. You know, I think this is on the lower end for China. And otherwise, it's a pretty good challenge. Basically, it's a two players swim out to a dock where there's this underwater cage of uh, hexagonal zodiac 
tiles held underwater by poles stuck through the cage. And so the players have to dive down, pull the poles out, let the things float up to the top, then carry them all back to shore and complete a Zodiac-themed puzzle. Shout out to the Zodiac Killer. And actually, I'll give you a better shout out than that. That's not a great one. Here's a deep cut. You ready for this? <laughs> okay, I'm ready. Jackie Chan had a cartoon in the 90s, or maybe it was early 2000s, that was Zodiac-themed. And it was about his niece. It was called The Jackie Chan Adventures. Uh, ran for five seasons, 2000 to 2005. Fictional version of Jackie Chan, who's an archaeologist and secret agent, uh, fighting uh, mythological forces from around the world. It's Zodiac-themed. There's Zodiac-themed magic. Uh, it... It ran on Cartoon Network, had toys and two video games. It was great. I remember watching this. It was genuinely fantastic. It's a great show, and it's Zodiac-themed. So shout-out to Jackie Chan Adventures. I've never heard of this before. This is a great idea, though. I'm a big Jackie Chan fan. I love Rush Hour. So I mean, he, he is an absolute... Uh, this is a fun little Jackie Chan fact. On every movie he he's in... He buys it. He loves segways. He buys a segway to get around the set of whatever movie it is. And then at the end of production, he gives the segway to somebody on the crew. Oh, that's so nice. What a cool guy. I doubt Jeff Probst does that. He doesn't seem like a segway guy. I don't think you could really segway around uh, the marshes of China. You don't think they have like all terrain uh, segways? They might. Well, they probably do now, but. Yeah, that's a very niche market. Like, who other than Jeff Probst is using a all-terrain Segway? Like uh, the mall cop at, an, at a night market. So the actual challenge, basically, we have uh, Jean Robert and Frosty, right? Swimming for Fei Long. And Aaron and Eric swimming for Jean Hu. All four of them are going hard, right? They're all competing to the best of their ability. It's a close race. It's a close race. They all get pretty tired when they have to jump back in the water to swim to shore. The contrast between Jean Robert and Aaron is ridiculous. Did you notice this? Where Aaron has the rope in his mouth? Aaron has the rope t you know, tied to the boat full of uh, puzzle pieces in his mouth as he's swimming back to shore, right? He's like a, a talented dolphin. Jean Robert just tumbles into the water so clumsily that he almost drops all of their pieces into the open ocean. <laughs> like, Jean Robert almost ruins the challenge just because he's so tired. Well, he almost floods the boat. Yeah. Like, his splash sends so much water in the boat that it almost sinks. We get the throwing, which basically, PG is a pretty good actress. She's faking, oh, trying to line things up. Jamie is the worst actress I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, she's pretty bad. It's like if the puzzle has to go on and you just like have to put it down, she's turned it sideways and is like, oh, you know, it's like if you're trying to do that little kid thing where you put the square in the square hole and the peg in the round hole. It's like if she'd brought over a Cabbage Patch doll and is just hitting it, right? She's not even close. Yeah. She's just, it's... <laughs> Preposterous. Well, at one point she takes a piece and just 
throws it like a frisbee off to the side. Yeah. If you're going to throw the challenge, you need to be more discreet about it, especially in a season that has idols in it. Like, you don't want to make it obvious to James and Aaron that you're doing this because if one of them did have an idol, they would totally have played it that night. If there's two things Jamie knows in this game, it's that idols exist and Eric's a virgin. The two most important pieces of knowledge in the game are in Jamie's hands. It is so blatant that at the end of the challenge, Fei Wong obviously wins sending John Vu to tribal. Jeff literally says, definitely the worst performance of a challenge yet. I mean, it is yeah. so bad. Jamie's laughing. It Jamie's laughing. It's so bad it makes Carolyn look confident. It is just awful. And they go back to camp. Wait, wait, I still want to talk about this part of the challenge. First off, that was an unnecessary shot at Carolyn. <laughs> Not needed on this season. I like it when Jeff asks PG if she's good at puzzles, and she says, I'm good at Sudoku. Yeah. And James hates <laughs> this. He says, PG, what are you doing? You're like, focus up. James is rightfully mad. At no point for the rest of this episode did James say anything un untrue. He's blatantly honest, almost to a fault in this episode. No, it's not to a fault. Like, there's nothing he could do at this point. Oh, I think it's to a fault. We'll talk about that. Uh, quick question. It's been a while since I've done Sudoku. Do you think the skills from Sudoku actually translate to this type of puzzle? I don't think you've ever done Sudoku, if you're asking me that question. I did it in elementary school. We had little booklets. After I had the fire chicken nuggets at the cafeteria, we went to class, and during math class, they would pass out Sudoku when like, you finish your stuff. So I have done it before, but I don't remember it too well. So basically, it's putting numbers into boxes where this puzzle was fitting steering wheels onto pegs matching their holes. I don't think it translates at all. It's kind of like saying, oh, does my experience doing a crossword help me with t-ball? Well, nothing can help you with t-ball other than, you know, passion and grit. Which are the most important traits in a survivor candidate. No. <laughs> okay, let's go back to the Jean Hu camp. So they lose immunity. And James and Aaron are mad. Both of them are livid. And Eric's not very happy either. I think Aaron isn't as mad as James. Aaron's not as mad as James, but they're both mad. Because I think at this point, it's clicked. They know what's going on. You think so? I don't think they were aware until it's really brought up at Tribal Council. I think they are suspicious. And they're mad that this team has pulled them, pulled these two strongest players, to not even try. Because they've just watched the most blatant... I mean, I think they know something's going on. I think it's obvious. When they're back at camp, PG and Jamie walk off to the side and they're laughing. They're giggling like schoolgirls. It's ridiculous. I was a fan of it. Dude, they're super villains. This is hilarious. This is their diabolical laugh, knowing that they have James and Aaron right where they want them. They pull Eric aside and they tell him that they threw the challenge. I was under the assumption that Eric knew about this beforehand, right. but I guess not. And he's mad. Is he mad? He's so monotone all the time. I can't tell when he's mad or when he's horny or when he's anything. <laughs> I guess if there's one thing Eric is good at, it's keeping it all in. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I was worried though, when they told him that they threw the challenge, like Eric is the super Christian of the Jean Hu tribe. He probably felt the most 
passionate over the ideals of honor and integrity. I thought there was a chance that Eric would have flipped and worked with Aaron and uh, James. And he worked hard in that challenge. Like, I mean, I think he says something along the lines of, I wish someone had told me because he wore himself out, right? What do you think prevents Eric from flipping here? Is it he just has the hots for Jamie? Yeah. Is that really yeah, it? Yeah, I, I genuinely think that's it. I, I think Jamie's, I, I don't love this phrase, but it's the most fitting one. Feminine wiles have kind of trapped him, and he's not willing to look beyond that. And he's picked his group. That's an interesting exercise to think about where, let's say the Jean Hu tribe was Eric, Frosty, PG. Yeah. And Frosty and PG throw the challenge. I wonder if Eric flips in that situation. I think he does. Well, I'll say this. I think Eric might have flipped. The one thing we don't see that I really would have liked to see is James and Aaron try to flip him. They have a conversation with him, and they throw the girls under the bus for their bad challenge performance, but they don't drive home the fact that they lost intentionally. Right. Like, I, I don't think they play it as hard as they could have, and frankly, as hard as they needed to. Well, I want to talk about this debate between Aaron and James. Jamie says, I'm not sure if this is in confessional or to another player, but she claims that she would rather vote out Aaron because Aaron is better connected at Fei Long. Yeah. But we actually have this insight. We know that James is connected to Denise and John Robert, whereas Aaron has connections to Todd and Amanda. Yeah. The difference, though, is James's connections are authentic, whereas Aaron is being used more as a figurehead and a shield for Todd and Amanda. If you're one of those original Jean Hu members, what do you think is the better move here? Get rid of Aaron or get rid of James? I think given the intel they know, Aaron is better. Because what they know from Leslie's tell-all book, right, like she basically walked over and handed them a typed manuscript of every in and out that she knows of their of the Phelong tribe, and I assume some biblical mentions. They know Aaron's the leader, so they don't know his bonds, really. But I don't think it matters because they heard from a third party who had nothing to lose, apparently, that he's the leader. And so I, I think that overrides any other dynamic here because, hey, if they decide to try in the next one, they go, you know what? Let's go for it. If Jamie all of a sudden pisses off everyone else at Jean Hu, hey, let's try. And if we lose, you know, they could get James back on their side if they showed enough remorse you know i guess the, the risk of keeping james though is he is a better physical competitor than aaron so if there is a challenge where let's say next week they're attempting to throw it james is probably the most likely to single-handedly will his team to a win yeah even when they're all trying to lose the other thing i thought about is james is so frustrated at the john who camp that he literally tells players to vote him out over Aaron because Aaron deserves it more. Yeah. I think this is actually bad for Aaron. <laughs> like the fact that James is giving up and showing weakness yeah. might have made them want to keep him around longer. Well, you've broken him, right? Why get rid of him when you've broken him? I know you tore him apart from Denise and you took away his challenge wins. The guy has such a strong work ethic and, and such a clear moral obligation to work hard that you might as well keep around the guy who's going to do the most work around camp. I was thinking more just long term there where it seems like James is like 
spirit to win the game is broken as well. And that might be a good person to keep around. I, I, know, I know how he feels. <laughs> That's how you feel watching this? Yeah. Yeah, we can go to tribal Let's then. Let's go to tribal. And all bets are off. I originally thought that Jamie and PG were going to attempt to hide the fact that they threw this challenge. All that went out the window at tribal. They basically fess up to it, to Jeff. And Jeff does not like this at all. Jeff is so mad that his twist that him in production came up with was essentially rigged by the players. And one thing I want to note here is that Jeff has a history, similar to you, Jack, of loving the Meat Boys on Survivor. All of Jeff's favorite players that he says in interviews post-show are typically, you know, the heroic golden boys that win a lot of challenges and make flashy moves at tribal council. Like, in Jeff's mind, he wants an Aaron or a James to win Survivor China. Yeah. That's the ultimate uh, season for him. Yeah. And I think he leans into Jamie and PG more than he should, given his role. No. No. I think Jeff is the moderator of the group. It's not his responsibility to leak this information to the tribe. He's supposed to poke, but not pry. And I think he takes it too far here. I, I think if it was a Leslie or a Courtney that was screwed over in this twist, Jeff would not have cared nearly as much. No, I don't think that's true. I, I think that the reason that players like James that I like a player like James, that Jeff likes a player like James. Aaron, Aaron, to an extent, but I think James is a great... I mean, James's frustration, I think, really embodies it here. Challenges are a third of the game. They are the outplay. And obviously, they're not the only thing that you're playing, right? But challenges are a critical part of this game. And to have had a... a twist inadvertently devalue that major part of the game if james goes home right at this vote it's not that he was outmaneuvered it was that a couple players counted and saw that they could beat him without him doing anything there's nothing james could have done it was just the environment they were in and the fact that these players so blatantly exploited the game. I mean, I don't know how much of a say Jeff has in these things. He's a producer on the show. He has say in all this. Yeah. He is now. I'm not sure when that he gained that power. I'm not sure if that was the case in season 15. So, like, I mean, if I'm Jeff as a moderator, just that, right? And I see a guy in James who's the biggest competitor in the field, who's working so hard at camp. He did everything right at Fei Long. And production steps in, says, you're going to the tribe where you're a minority, and guess what? The way the numbers work, we've incentivized your tribe to devalue you completely. It's production's fault, right? And I don't think it's right for Jeff to blow up the plan of Jamie and PG in tribal council because production messed up. His job there should be asking them, oh, what happened in the challenge? Rather than saying, it looks like you threw the challenge. Like, those are two different things. I think the reason he said it looks like you threw the challenge is because at one point, Jamie literally threw a puzzle piece. Jeff can't be planting those seeds in Aaron and James's head. They need to come to that realization on their own. I don't think he's planting seeds. I think that their performance and their actions around camp afterwards are so blatant 
I don't think they were. I don't think they oh knew. Oh, my God. Oh, when James and Aaron approach Eric and try to convince him to flip, they don't say the girls threw the challenge. This is against the competitive spirit of the game. Let's vote them out. I don't think they were aware that the challenge was thrown until Jeff plants that seed in tribal council. I think it was obvious enough that I don't think Jeff was out of line. I think that if it had been more subtle, I think if it had been PG's level of throwing, maybe it would have been out of line. But I think because of Jamie's absolute disregard for discretion, it was in bounds. I think it was fine. I'm always going to disagree with you on this. I think Jeff has his biases for the Meat Boys, and this is just another example of it. So I'm good to go with the vote if you are. So the three Jean who stick together, James is pissed that PG <laughs> threw the challenge. So he puts a vote on PG, and Aaron is an actual smart player, and he realizes that it's either himself or James. But in the event that it is James going home, he wants to be a part of the majority group. Maybe that'll help him gain favor with him in the next round. Yeah, I think it's the right move from Aaron, and unfortunately, too late. Unless James can do something on this season to change my opinion of him, I will stand by the take that Aaron was a better player. I think Aaron was more tactical. He was able to think longer strategically. This vote against PG from James is completely a bitter vote. He knew PG was not going home in that situation. He didn't yep. have the numbers to do it. I mean, at this point, I mean, James says flat out, if this is what you guys are going to do, vote me out. I don't want to be here. Yeah, and I think that's a bad move by any Survivor player. No, I, I, to I, totally, I totally respect that because at this point, he's looking at it a unwinnable fight. You just said earlier that when Jean Robert brought up his own name that it was a bad move, but when James does it, it's respectable? Because Jean Robert is not in a desperate position. The Art of War says that when you're in a desperate situation, you fight. You're saying you give up? <laughs> I'm disagreeing with it because you know what? I don't think James is in a fight anymore. James is a prisoner of war being forced to work for these people. No. Like, J James does not have a path forward. James is a quitter. That's what he is. He says, things aren't going my way. Wah, wah, no, 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 no. Vote me out instead of Aaron. I don't care anymore. I quit because things aren't going in my, my direction. James sees very clearly that he is all of a sudden in a desperate minority where the majority is playing a game completely antithetical to how he wants to play the game. And he knows that next week... There's nothing he can do. And I guess this is the question at the end of this episode is, is there any path forward for James? Because I don't see one. And in that situation, given how utterly disrespected he's been for how hard he's worked, he worked really hard in that challenge. He comes to Jean Hu and works really hard around camp. And then they, they don't even have the decency to try to play the game or try to be subtle about their throwing of the game. So you agree with his decision to vote against PG. You think that's a good move for him? I mean, frankly, I would have voted Jamie over PG because at least PG was oh a little discreet. God. But yeah. No. <laughs> I, I don't think he's wrong because at this point, it doesn't matter. What possible path forward is there for James? How does he get out of this? There's two. Well, first, it banks on the assumption that there's a merge at 10. Route one is that James just wills his tribe to a win. Mm -hmm. Route two is that at the immunity challenge, Faye Long rolls up, sees that they voted out Aaron, and picks up on the fact that we need to throw this to preserve James. Yeah. This is not a death sentence for James. There's still some hope. And in the event that James makes it to the merge, you don't want to burn bridges with the Jean Hu members. There's no benefit to it. 
at this stage of the game, if you know that it's either you or Aaron, vote against Aaron, accept the loss, and who knows, maybe if James goes on a deep run, he could potentially make an alliance with PG or have something work out between them. But by voting against her here, out of pure emotion, that's going to burn that bridge, and that could hurt him in the long run. There's no reason to vote against. Just accept your loss and move on. I agree with what you said, that they are playing a game. What was the term? Antithetical? Yeah. Yeah, they're playing Survivor in a way that's antithetical to James's perception of the show. But James perceives Survivor like it's 2001, and these players actually understand it like it's season 15. That's fair. So that's a good point about if if Fei Long notices and figures out, oh, we need to throw, right? That's a very good point. I think the odds of James being able to carry this team to a win are slim. It depends on what the challenge is. If it's like the wrestling challenge where Dave got his dick out, there's no way because that was um, basically decided on gender lines, right? Since we're saying goodbye to Aaron, are you sad to see him go? Not really. We got to give him his time in the sun. I mean, Aaron was a nice, you know, loaf of white bread. He was a meat boy. He was a meat boy and he was a generic meat boy. He had done nothing that James had done to endear himself to me. That's a very fair point. Like if you went on, uh, have you ever played The Sims before? Enough to know what it is. Yeah. If you went on The Sims and said, create me a generic survivor meat boy or like your default survivor meat boy, you get Aaron. <laughs> I, I, I think that's well said. Aaron is the default template you get when you start playing Skyrim before you customize it. Yeah. Uh, it, like, he's he's one of the presets that you base your own character off of. I feel bad for Aaron. I think had he survived this round, I don't know if he wins the season. That's too extreme of a take for me to really make. But I think it's fair to say he makes a run on this season. There's a chance he gets voted out in the early merge because he's a physical threat. But he was well-connected with players. I think Todd and Amanda wanted to keep him around as long as they could until they needed to cut him. I would guess that if Aaron survives this round, he places like seven. And maybe then he's remembered more fondly. He, he never comes back. He never plays again. Yeah, that does not surprise me. In the Survivor community, there's this term called swap screwed. And Aaron is one of the poster childs uh, for that term. And I think you can see why. Uh, yeah, swap screwed is, is, I'm glad there's a term for it. Other thing I wrote down is, I'm stoked for next week's challenge. This is going to be great. Two tribes, both attempting to lose. I hope it's T-Ball. And they're both just missing the <laughs> ball over and over again on purpose. Jeff keeps bringing out bigger balls to like make it easier. Like If you're production and you saw Jean Hu throw it, I wonder if they considered changing the upcoming challenge. There's certain challenges you can't run where both tribes are trying to lose. Right. Like if they did uh the ball the big balls in the mud that they ran earlier, would both tribes just be pushing the ball into their own goal? Next week's challenge will be the most important one of the season. Uh based on the results, we will either get a 5-5 split at the merge or a 6-4 split. Yeah. Big damn deal. I'm looking forward to it. It's a good thing that we're not going to watch it for like a month. <laughs> Well, these still come out every week. That's true. If you're a listener, you assume that we're yeah, <laughs> listening yeah. to them on time. For for the dear fan of the show, see if you can tell a difference in how enraged I am between this episode and next week's episode, which will be recorded three weeks later. I think you're going to be just as enraged because you're going to forget that both tribes are trying to throw this, and then a month later, it's going to be the same feelings all there again. So do you want to go to winners and losers and all that? 
Yeah, where do you want to start? Uh, let's start with winners because I it's only going to get worse from there. Let's start with winners. You got to agree with me on the winner. At least I hope you do. It has to be PG. Yeah, yeah. She comes up with the idea to throw the challenge. She puts Jean Hu in a better spot moving forward in the game. I like that at Tribal Council, she says it's about winning the war, not the battles. And I feel like the edit of this episode wants us to dislike Jamie and PG for throwing the challenge. Like they focus more on the two of them giggling and laughing about screwing over Aaron and James rather than the actual strategy that went on behind it. But yeah. I recognize your strategy, PG. You deserve the winner of the episode. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I, as much as I dislike it, and I don't know if you can tell, but I don't like it. <laughs> PG does read the uh, battlefield to to use a war image. She reads it right. She reads it well, and she's in a good spot for having taken this lead. And hopefully, she makes it to a merge where she's gotten some other Jean Hu members there, because if something goes awry. Although she did come up with this move and it could work and it could really pay off. I think the risk is that of the three Jean Hu members left on Jean Hu, she'd be the first one to go. I think the other two stick together. And we know that James is bitter towards PG. So yeah. if worst case scenario happens where it's a 6-4 split at the merge and Faye Long has the numbers, you know James is going to be campaigning against her. Yeah, but But for the time being... I, I mean, she read this really well and made the big move. Uh, who's your loser? My loser's Jamie. Are you serious? Come on. No, it's not. Give it to James already. <laughs> you know he deserves to be the loser. Part of the reason that Babe Ruth is Babe Ruth in the American culture is because Babe Ruth became a star right after the 1919 Black Sox scandal. And if you're not familiar with the 1919 Black Sox scandal... Clyde. I know. I know what it is. Well, I'll explain it for the listener. It's when half of the Chicago White Sox decided to throw games to win money. A dishonorable, uncompetitive uh, disappointment that was so blatant that the government had to convene a grand jury investigation. It led to the appointment of the first commissioner of baseball whose assignment was his name was Kennesaw Mountain Landis, which is a great name. This is from the Dome, by the way. Uh, his job was to restore the moral character of baseball because essentially it was this absolute dark moment of, wait a minute, these people who are supposed to be competing as hard as they can are not. And then Babe Ruth came on the scene and he hit like nobody hit before or has hit since, and he pitched very, very well as well, which people forget. You know, there's this great line uh, from his obituary, actually, that I think is worth pointing out because I, I, it's just such a great line. Is this about Babe Ruth or is this is about it, James? This, this is a quote about <laughs> yeah. Babe Ruth. This is from his obituary in 1948. Babe Ruth, more than any individual and practically single-handed rescued the game from what threatened to be one of its darkest periods after the Black Sox scandal. And so I, I don't think Babe Ruth becomes Babe Ruth without the disappointing, dishonorable quitting there. Survivor is a competitive show. Is it all oh about challenges? God. No. Uh, it's not all about challenges. 
However, they're an important part of it. They're a part of the spirit of the game. And while I completely appreciate that this was the right move, the amount of joy that Jamie took in throwing the challenge and in giggling at the rage of these competitors wanting to do their best went all over me. I have absolutely zero respect for her at the end of this episode where PG made a strategic move, and yeah, she giggles a little bit. She giggles a lot. <laughs> they laughed together, and you gave her the winner. <laughs> it is nowhere near the same level. At Tribal, PG is very, she keeps it together. She says, look, it's about the war, not the battle. Jamie has a giggle fit. I have zero respect for her, and as such, she is my loser. Yeah, an absurd take. I have a tough <laughs> time even rebuttaling this because I feel like it's a fundamental disagreement on the meaning of survivor like it's difficult to make a counter argument when you value challenges that much uh it's it's not about it's not about what matters most in the game it's about respecting the game yeah it's it's a purely emotional pick yes (laughs) yes is what it is it's you being bitter towards jamie it's a disrespectful move if you were going to give a loser to one of the two of them, I think it honestly would would have made more sense to give it to PG because at least she was the one that damaged her relationship with James more than Jamie did. James voted against PG. This seems just like you want to give the loser to somebody that threw the challenge and Jamie was just, you know, the straw man that got hit in the process. I think that Jamie potentially damaged her relationship with Eric by throwing and not telling him. Ah, uh, come on. Let's be real. You think Eric's going to leave Jamie? <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. They were in the Garden of Eating together. Who's your loser? Uh, It's James. It's not even close. This guy yeah. is in the worst position right now out of anybody on the entire season. There's no question that unless he finds the idol at that camp, if Jean Hu loses, James's ass is going home. On top of that, he doesn't even handle the elimination well. He asks to get voted out. And yep. how about you? But... If James was sitting at the final tribal council, I would have a difficult time voting for him to win, knowing that he genuinely wanted to quit at one point. There's a difference between saying, oh, I want to quit and doing it for strategic reasons to lower your threat level. But James is serious here. He genuinely wanted to quit. That makes me think so much less of him as a player. The fact that he voted against uh, PG instead of just putting the vote on Aaron, accepting the loss, and moving on to the next stage of the game. It's very short-sighted. I think we had a major loss here. Even though James is a more entertaining person and character than Aaron, I think Aaron's the better strategic player, and I would have liked to see Aaron stay in the game over James, which might be a hot take. Do you want to do your dishonorable or my honorable first? I'll do my dishonorable since you gave your you know five-minute talk on yeah, the yeah, history yeah. of baseball and Babe Ruth and how Babe Ruth saved. Who's the Babe Ruth of, of China then? Who's who's going to save the amoral James. game of... Sir- James. Oh, James is the Babe Ruth. The James is yeah. the Babe Ruth. Yeah. 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 He's a real cerebral player that's going to bring this game back into its uh, righteous state. He's the moral center of the game. No, that's that's Leslie, and she was <laughs> voted out episodes no, prior. moral, not spiritual. Oh, my bad, my bad. Who's <laughs> <laughs> your It was your dishonorable... So there was two things in contention for the dishonorable mention. One of them was you, because I knew (laughs) that you would hate this, and I knew how upset you would be by it. But I've given you the dishonorable so many times, and I've made a commitment this season to... Have I? Yeah, I've given you the dishonorable a couple times in the past. I think 
I would need to go back and check the record books, but I think you've racked up two dishonorables. Jeez. And those must have been bad for this one to not get it, because this one, I, I, I should have seen this coming. The real dishonorable here goes to the competitive spirit of Survivor Challenges, and I'm eating it up. I'm at a four-course meal, eating every single second of it. I've never been more excited for a challenge than I am for next week. Yeah. I cannot wait to watch two tribes intentionally lose at the same time for strategic purposes. Maybe this is a sign that Survivor's going in the right direction. Maybe we're headed into an era where every tribe is trying to throw every challenge. This was 15 years ago. You know where it's going. And Jeff is just there banging his head against the wall, praying to God that the Meat Boys can finally win. Because any season that results in a non-Meat Boy winning is a good season in my book. Oh, Clyde. Dishonorable mention goes to the competitive spirit. Let's go White Sox. (laughs) Okay, well, you must know who my honorable mention is at this point. I do? Uh, Let me think. Does it go... Oh, Jackie Chan, right? I mean, I tell you what, I gotta go find that show. That was genuinely a, a fantastic little program. Uh, no, my honorable mention is James. <laughs> because, I mean, let me be very... the chance. Let me be very clear. James's response at this stage in the game is very similar to the response I would have had. Yeah, Jack, I'd suggest that you don't apply for Survivor. <laughs> I have so much respect for the way he's wanting to play the game. And as a meat boy... He doesn't want to play. He wants to get voted out. No, he wants to play by the right standard, which is playing hard and then dealing with the aftermath, but giving it your all whenever you can, I think is the proper way to go about it, especially when you're a meat boy. If James was built like Todd, this would be a different conversation entirely. Frankly, I completely respect his his frustration at every stage after that challenge and during it. Do I think he'll be going home next week? Yeah, probably. What's the percent chance of him going home next week? What's your guess? 80%. I feel like 80 might be low. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but at the same time, I have so much respect for the way he played and his refusal to give up and the grit and gumption that takes. I mean, he deserves the honorable mention in my book. Is he going to be the Babe Ruth? Is he going to redeem the game? I don't know. I hope so. That's about everything I wanted to cover. Anything that you want to hit on? Oh, there is actually one more thing I wanted to hit on. And and we touched on this a little bit when we were talking about Jamie. But do you think that the Jamie-Eric dynamic is hurt by Eric being left out of the plan to throw? I think uh, love trumps all. That's beautiful. Eric will stand by Jamie's side for 10 more challenges that they willingly throw together. They will lock arms and throw the puzzle pieces in unison off to the side. They'll just dive into the sea. Yeah, I hope they get married, and then instead of, like, you may kiss the bride, it's like you may throw the puzzle piece, and they can take each of their own pieces and throw them away. They take their rings and just go, wee! And then I want to make a prediction, actually, here at the end of this episode. And you can tell me if I'm wrong or not. It's, I mean, because you probably know. My prediction is James is our first return player, our first repeat player of the season. I'll need to tell you later on. I'll tell you when people get voted out, if okay. they come back or not. that's fair. Well, that's my prediction. But we have not seen a returnee yet, and I think there are four on the season. Yeah. We're down to 11 players. Yeah. So, so I mean, so it's almost a coin toss, but... Uh, are, are there any other players that you're leaning towards right now, or is it really just James or inclination? James is my inclination just because I'm pretty sure he'll be going home next week. 
Well, we'll cover that when the time comes. Well, thanks for listening to Survivor Analytics and catch us next week for episode six of Survivor China, the greatest challenge of all time. The throwing competition. <laughs>